Yes, we've had a very powerful weekend, a prayer retreat, and as a church, we came together and were freshly equipped, we regrouped, we learned so much about prayer, and I do believe we can do that more often, right? It was powerful and encouraging. And I would like to uh, continue a bit on on what we started there, but also give you the word for the beginning of the year, and maybe uh, show you a bit of a different aspect and perspective here. It became our verse for the year, Psalm 36:10. You know, in December, at some point, I received that word in a time of prayer. For with you is, is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. So by now we've heard quite a bit about this verse, especially those who were part of the retreat, and the main emphasis that we've seen, and that we can also see here in the Word of God, of course, is to be with Him, and I would like to also read the verses that are before and after this one. Stefan said a few wonderful things about this that I will repeat as well, but so we can get the overall uh, context. How precious is your goodness, O God! So the sons of man can find refuge under the shadows of your wings. They are satisfied with the riches of your house, and you give them drink from your fountain of delight. For with you is the fountain of life, for in your light we see light. And then verse 10, continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. And what we've learned is about God's goodness, His mercy, about the fullness, the abundance, and we find refuge in the shadow of your wings. Where does that happen? Of course, in prayer, first of all, when we seek Him, when we come to Him. And then the promises are tremendous. We shall be filled to overflowing with a river of God's delights. Stefan pointed out that this was talking about the river of Eden, a river full of His glory glory, filled with everything we need. And then he continues that the Lord says, this request, uh, spread your goodness over those who know you. Continue your love to those who know you. So, and your righteousness to the upright in heart, those who are with you. So God's promises are tremendous. And I really have to think about it. We have so many promises from him. Peace, righteousness, joy in his kingdom. And this is what the Lord has for you and me during the next year. It is just cemented here in the Word of God. And there's only one who wants to prevent that. And he wants to prevent it and he will do anything for this not to happen. And that's the devil. But I've got good news for you. Darkness has been conquered at the cross of Calvary. The devil is overcome. And the promises are true. Don't allow anyone to steal what the Lord has prepared for you what he has for us. And so, the emphasis is very much on seeking him, seeking him in prayer. The Lord wants that, we heard that yesterday in a wonderful service, he 
wants to pour out a spirit or wants to revive a spirit of uh, intercession and, and laboring before him. And when we see God's need and pain for all people who are lost here, and then he releases that spirit of, of travail and of prayer and intercession. And I believe many have experienced that revival of prayer in their lives this weekend. At the same time, it is something that the Lord has already given. So where we reach out for Him, where we seek Him, where it's our perspective that God wants to give more, more of His fullness, where He says, don't be content with what you've received already. There's so much more. And He gathers the oceans in the hollow of His hand. And everything He has prepared is there for you. And at the same time, we also want to take a look at this fountain and this river. Because how can we draw from this fountain? How can we share with others from this well? How can we receive afresh every day? This fountain or well or, or you know river you can use whatever you want this river of God that is so filled with its riches and the glory of God and I would like to read two different verses to you because Jesus says in John 4 verse 14 whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him he shall never be thirsty in eternity so that's not something just in the future but he does it here and now, today. The water that I shall give him shall become a fountain of life for him that flows to eternal life. So Jesus is the water of life. Jesus gives the rivers of life. And he says, I will give to the thirsty from the river of life. That's in Revelation. And he says to me, it is done. I am the beginning and the end. I will give to the thirsty of the fountain of living water for free. That's Revelation 21. And this fountain also speaks about the Holy Spirit. I'm so excited about this. Because this fountain represents the river of the Holy Spirit that will never never stop flowing. It represents the glory of God. It represents what the Lord wants to give us today and not some point in the future. It represents what the Lord has prepared today. And I read something very nice that I really liked. It said, God has a thousand-year calendar that only knows one day, and that day is today. So, on God's calendar, there's only one day, and that's not a day in the past, not a day that will be at some point that we need to work for, but today is the day of the Lord. Today is the, Lord, the day when the Lord will meet with you, when the power of the Holy Spirit will anoint you and renew you. Today is the day when the Holy Spirit shows you this fountain and shares with you. And the Lord says one thing, when I was preparing, and thought about this weekend what, and asked him, what do you want to say? He said, I am not hard to find. If you seek me, I am there. You don't need to work hard. Well, of course, you should do everything and give everything. You should take your time. But the Lord says, I am not hard to find. I'm here. And then let's look up Luke 11, 1 to 13. 
the Lord himself is teaching about prayer. The first few verses, we see Jesus in a, in a, in a place where he was praying, and then the disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And we know he taught them the Lord's Prayer in this place. In the following verses, we see the story of the uh, insistent friend who comes to us. And for his insistence sake, he will get. Because, because he expects, he really wants to have something. So, And that's the story here. So prayer is connected with to our expectation, our determination to get something. And then the third part, verses 9 to 12, and I'll read a few verses. Jesus himself teaches them. And he says, I tell you, ask, and you shall be given. So the one thing is, when we ask, the Lord says, I will give you. So ask, and you will be given. Seek, and you will find. So my friends, we don't just keep looking and looking in order to discover at some point that we did not discover and find. But he says, seek, and you will find. And it's a really humanistic thought that we'd be on a continuous quest and never find. But Jesus says, I will be found. If you seek me, I am happy to be found by you. So we don't have to keep looking and looking for a home in heaven, but we will arrive home with the living God. And actually, the greatest gift that the living God can make, do you know what that is? The greatest gift is not cars, not the houses. It's not all these things, they're glorious things, but you know what the greatest thing is? It's God's peace that passes all understanding. That's God's peace with the Father. It's the greatest gift we can get. And you know, when I was not a believer yet, my greatest problems, greatest problem was the fact that I had no peace. I was driven, even as a teenager. I could not stand remaining in one place. I couldn't stand it there anymore and went to the next place. Then I went to my bedroom and whatever. Even as a teenager, I was raised in a happy home, but I was driven. I had no peace inside. And then I went to the city and in the city of Lüdenscheid, it's not very big, there's a pedestrian precinct and returning back home and I went back and forth and back and forth. And at some point I reached a point when I gave my life to Jesus, that's when I found peace. And I feel a very clear word of God for you, for some here. You have been a Christian for a while, but there's no peace in your life. Jesus is the one who grants you peace with the Father. And this peace is the mark that you are saved, and that you are redeemed. And when you are saved and redeemed, you are assured of your salvation. You know that you know that if you were to meet Jesus today, you would spend eternity with him. You would not be lost, but you can be with him for eternity. That's peace. Peace with God. And so the kingdom of God is made up of this. He says, See, ask and you will be given. Today. So if you ask today, I will give you. If you seek today, if you knock today, it will be open to you. So it's not your fate for life that you would spend the next five years knocking at God's door thinking, oh, nobody will ever answer. 
That's not true. But God says, if you knock, it doesn't matter if it's really quiet, if I only hear a scratching, if I only hear the slightest sound, I will run to the door and open it wide for you. And then, if we continue reading this, because he who asks receives, who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, I do really love those verses, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And so what he's talking about, where is a father who would give bad things to a child that comes to him, poisonous things, or something that would make the child sick, or that be bad for the child. It must be such a sick father, but a real father who loves his child will give the child what is good to the child, what actually ministers to the child, and that's what it is. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, so you who are not redeemed, you are still part of fallen creation. If even you can give good things to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, now listen, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So all of a sudden, this, this seeking, this request, asking, knocking, you know, this is just not possible without the Holy Spirit. You do need the well, the fountain. You need the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord says, I'm not hard to find. If you seek me, I'm there. And he is here today. And you know, in the first steps I took as a believer, I was taught about the Holy Spirit. And at first I had a quite a negative response inside. But then I started seeking the Holy Spirit and I was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I am so grateful that there were friends and brothers and sisters who taught me to receive the Holy Spirit in a very natural way. They told me, you know, if you want your prayer not to remain empty, if you want your prayer not to be without power, if you want your prayer to be filled, you need the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. So seek Him. And that is the request he answers immediately. Later we had many seminars and I saw thousands and tens of thousands being filled with the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit and that was the word I just read to you. It was what changed people because so many were standing at the altar and said, I don't know how to receive the Holy Spirit. But then we prayed for them and we said, you know, if you ask the Father, he wants to give to you. And it's not a question of theology or training, but it's simply a question, the Father has the best for you, that is rivers of living water, the Holy Spirit. He has a name and he's a person. And so if we take a look at another word in the Bible, Matthew 28, the Lord says, I am with you every day until the end of the world. That's how he sends his disciples. You know, it's not some point in the future, and many times we as Christians live as if we were standing below a kind of sausage that's tied to a string, and we try to grab the sausage, and 
Gott uns diese Wurst wegzieht. We think whenever we are close, God is pulling away that sausage. Oftentimes we think the Lord is, is missing out on giving us something. But I tell you, look to your right and left. My promise to you is, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then when we take a look at John 14, I did not leave you as orphans. John 14, 16 to 20. I will ask the Father, and he will send you another comforter who will be with you forever. I did not leave you as orphans. I have risen and I have gone to the Father, but you will be not alone. There is a comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you. And then he says, there'll be a little time, in verse 19, the world shall not see me anymore. But you will see me. So remember our psalm, in your light I see light, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me. And I in you. So that's the Holy Spirit who brings you and takes you to Jesus right away. And you will receive new eyes, a new perspective on who the living God is. You will have new eyes for the spiritual world and for what he is doing. And the second part, so that was the fountain, the well, the Holy Spirit for today. And the second part of the verses, in your light we see light. And so, okay, I was raised in a mythology of light because of my Masonic heritage in my family. You know, with the Freemasons, light is very important. First of all, if the Word of God speaks about light, it's nothing mystical, okay? It's not a word about Christmas either. And Christians are not part of the Illuminati, the Illuminated. So, say, I'm not one of the Illuminati. But in your light, we see light. And this is speaking about one thing. Christians are people who have been redeemed by Jesus from the power of darkness and through his forgiveness and grace they've been placed in his light. And Reinhard Bonke, he says it the following way and I really like that. Faith is a jump into the light. Faith is a leap from darkness into light. And light, Jesus says, I am the light. John 12, verse 26. I have come into the world as a light, so that whoever believes in me shall not live in darkness and remain in darkness. So Jesus came as a light into the world. And so this light that the Word of God speaks about here is not just some level of revelation, but it's a person. Jesus is the light. So turn to the person next to you and tell them, Jesus is the light. Ephesians 5 verse 8. Because you used to be in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And so if I jump into the light, if I take that leap, if I come to Jesus, something is transformed within me and therefore live as children of light. So if you have come from darkness and given your life to him, if you are saved and redeemed, then that means that your life is changing so other people can see it. 
And the heavenly realm sees you as light, just as Jesus is light. John 14, verse 19. It will be only a little longer, Jesus says, and then the world shall see me no more. But you will see me. Why? Of course, because we found Jesus. We have become light, for I live. And therefore, you shall also live. Okay, we have so, right. So now, these are the two areas that we have in the psalm that we find. And actually, something more to add. Life as light is something that gets very, very practical. First John 2, verse 9. It's worth studying that. And so we are not just automatically light, but because of our lifestyle, okay? Through our prayer, the way we treat people, the way we treat one another. First John 2 verse 9, it says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates or despises or is angry with his brother is still in the darkness. So actually, anger, bitterness, hatred, it doesn't matter what the reason behind it is, actually transports us back into darkness. That's a very clear word here. And the other way around, in verse 10, it's, then it says, whoever loves his brother, well, of course, uh, brother, it says, brothers and sisters in the church, lives in the light. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble, or he makes no one else stumble. So even Christians can make others stumble, right? But if we love our brother or sister, if we are committed to them, if we live in reconciled rep rec uh, relationships, because of Jesus' forgiveness brings stability in the church. And if I allow bitterness, hatred, anger, or despising, it will take me back to darkness. So that is a very clear word. So so life in the light is a challenge. The one is to be in the shadow of God's glory, his wings, to follow him, but also it's a challenge to change my lifestyle. Right. But all of this is not sufficient. Because somehow my experience in the past 30 years or something in prayer has been that I thought, yeah, Lord, I did have glorious times with you, glorious times of encounter with you. Well, actually, it's 40 years already. Times during ministry, times when you changed my life, times when I was in despair and sought the Holy Spirit, and he came, and I lay before him, and he simply turned up himself with his glory in my prayer chamber. Glorious times that changed things. But if all of this had stayed in my prayer closet, nothing would have changed. You know, prayer has to be connected with something else. Prayer is that I seek him and his glory, that I get to know the depths of his goodness, of his deity, and that I encounter him. But that's not for me. Prayer and seeking God and being connected to that fountain means the fountain has to actually flow out of my prayer closet. 
And when I think back, all the answers to prayer that we've seen, all the miracles we've seen, like iron gates breaking open, the Lord transforming nations, bringing an exchange, moving his mighty arm, I can still say that was the place when the Lord asked me for things. The place of faith. The place that needed be to be connected to my faith. And prayer and faith always go together. Faith is the crucial foundation for my prayer life. Faith is the power of prayer. Faith is the uh, electric conduit, and so faith actually switches on God's power. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. We know that word, because whoever wants to come to God has to believe. You need to be convinced. You need to trust. You need to expect something. Hebrews 11, that is. And what? That he is, and that he rewards those who seek him with all their heart. What? And what does he do? That he rewards them. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. So faith and prayer, faith and seeking God. So faith is the conduit. And prayer actually, actually switches on what God has prepared. And actually, at the same time, it is true that so many times we are faced with mountains of unbelief, a lack of expectation, mountains that we have built up somewhere. And these mountains are not built up in prayer, they're not built up through faith, but these mountains of a lack of expectation are built up through unbelief. I've got a nice phrase for you. Unbelief builds mountains of expect lack of expectations, but prayer and faith can get rid of those mountains. So unbelief builds up mountains of a lack of expectation, but the prayer of faith can delete and can get rid of those mountains. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And therefore, the devil knows that exactly. He knows the anointing and power behind prayer. And that's why he tries to do everything he can to keep you from praying. Because he knows that he can only be held back by prayer and authority. And with some, prayer is something that they try, that they try and find the will of God in prayer. And some people ask me, you know, how can I find out the, the, the will of God? And many times, we seek the will of God without actually being willing to do what he asks of us. And actually, it will not help you in the least to seek the will of God or to try and get your mind changed, to lay down your life as a living sacrifice. If you try your best and work hard, 
But first of all, we need to understand that the will of God is the greatest and most tremendous thing that will change our lives. I would like to tell you something else here. Everything that God does always begins by you noticing that God's will is the greatest thing in your life more than any other success. And if we don't know that, we don't even need to seek the will of God because he could possibly ask us for something that we don't really like. God's will is wonderful, is glorious, is great. God's will was the one thing that the Lord has been speaking about in times of prayer, many, many hours, many, many days, times we spend in his presence where we sought him, spend time before him, and even as we are before him today, but the key is actually a very important thing we need to note. And this thing is, is the will of God for you the greatest, most beautiful and most precious thing there is? Or is it something for you that's more or less an instrument? And maybe you can even transmit it on your father and mother and project it on them, something that they would force you to do that you don't want to do. Then we have the mentality of a slave and not a child. Is that right? So if we come to God in prayer and if we ask him, Lord, what do you want? Is the will of God the greatest thing, the most precious thing in your life? And I want to tell you, you know, it's the time of startups right now. Someone says, oh, you know, I uh, have a startup here and there and so on. And startups always are connected to creativity, right? So we can give thanks to God because it's his creativity, the things that are happening. And I was thinking at some point, you know, within the past few years, we've had at least 30 or 40 different startups in the kingdom of God. Easily, maybe even more. You know, Paraguay, that was a startup. And by now, it's an entire nation that's reached. And every nation is like a new startup. The church plant in Leipzig was a startup. The musical ministries that we had, bands, Israel, associations, companies, Kingdom of God startups. How is this? You know, we don't just sit down and say, hmm, well, now we will found something nice. That's not how it works, because it's done through the Holy Spirit. God brings up things. And God is such a creative God, and His will is not a straitjacket. The, the will of God is creative and rich and glorious. It's the best thing there is for us. And he actually minds so much when we are afraid and think he is asking us for something that's terrible or cruel or against our will. And this will only be true if, if our ego has not ended up at the cross yet. Because the will of God is so infinitely creative infinitely wonderful. And actually, my relationship to the Lord in prayer is the gift to be able to come to Him and to hear, Lord, what do you want? What's your next step? To come to Him as a child, 
Vater hat. Who has a father. Das Entscheidende ist, And the important thing is with an expectation that whatever he has for us is the most precious and greatest thing there is. And so my friends, you see that prayer and faith are so closely connected, but there is actually another element, which is the willingness to do what God asks of us. Because faith always connects to What we do to the Lord, we wait on him, yes, and there's times of peace and rest and seclusion, times when we just wait for him. But then there are times when the rivers of living water shall flow from that. Because we don't live for ourselves. Hebrews 11 verse 1. But faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That is like a deed, like, like a, a certificate of ownership that the Lord is giving us. It is a certificate of ownership for what we hope for, what we expect. So this is connected to expectation, right? Okay, you go and maybe that takes us back to a car or apartment, house, whatever, you want to buy it. And so you sign the certificate, the contract, and the house is not even finished yet, it's not built yet, or the car maybe, but actually it belongs to you already. You know it, you've confirmed it, you don't have it in front of your eyes, you haven't moved there yet, you haven't driven a single mile yet, but it belongs to you. That's your expectation. Now, now I'm going to get going. And so it's a an inner assurance. We do not doubt what we do not see. Have you ever experienced that? Many of us, right? So you had the assurance. You know that you know this belongs to you. God has promised that. Any of you ever experienced that? I believe many of you. And so faith is full of expectation. And prayer without expectation will not receive. That's what we talked about yesterday. If you don't have expectation, you cannot receive what God has prepared for you. James 3.16 The prayer of the righteous availeth much if it is in earnest, full of expectation, right? If it's an eager seeking, determined, in the Bible, in the Word of God, we see that it's always about being insistent in prayer. And then it says, Elijah was a weak man. And we know how he suffered under Jezebel. And then after he had the greatest victory, then he ran away. So he wasn't a superhero. He wasn't a great hero. He was in depression and hid under his bush. He was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. He prayed one single prayer and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Wow, what powerful prayer. And then it says, again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. So, what is this connected to? Colossians 4, verse 2. Do not allow anything to prevent you from praying and don't forget giving thanks to God. Or a different translation says, be firm, be determined. That's what it says here. Keep 
thinking about prayer, keep dealing with prayer day and night, and be alert, be watchful in Him, in continuous thanksgiving. Since here, devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful. Somebody once said that ungrateful people cannot pray. And I see that in David. You know, he says, enter his courts with praise, with thanksgiving. And I'm so happy that these ten people came forward and they will truly receive. But I'm really sorry for all those people who've experienced great things and who didn't share. But we'll give you another opportunity. Because we come into his courts with thanksgiving. In, into, we can only enter into what God has prepared for us if we're thankful. You know, privately people come to me, oh, Jobs, I've experienced so much this year. My earnings, my proceeds, the glorious things. Well, God's a good God. So come into his house with praise and thanksgiving. I can only truly be in prayer when I'm thankful and then expect God to fill my bowl, fill it to overflowing. But how do I pray? We really all know that the disciples had to learn praying from Jesus. So if you look at the Gospels, you find Jesus praying, whether it was in the middle of the day or in the night. It was completely normal for him to pray, to withdraw for prayer, somehow find a quiet spot on the mountain, by the lake, wherever, because he wanted to talk to his father. And you can read, he did nothing that he didn't hear from his father. That was childlike obedience. He did nothing because this was the best thing for him. He loved his father. He was completely one with him. And this is what the disciples learned from their master. And they saw wherever he went, he prayed. And that's why they came to him and said, Master, teach us to pray. And that was the power of Jesus. Even Jesus needed prayer. And that was the secret of his ministry. And this is the foundation why the Lord can move his arm, the foundation of all change. Do you want to see change in your life? Start praying. Do you want to see change and transformation, breakthroughs? Then start praying. Do you want to see God use your life? Seek him and change your prayer times. If you take a look at men and women of revival, you see how they live with prayer and bear fruit in an undescribable way. Without prayer, nothing works. And as I told you, everything that happened in our ministry happened through prayer. In South America, in Belarus, it came from prayer. The entire ministry in other nations. By now we're working in 10 different nations. We started with prayer. At least two weeks we withdrew and prayed morning, noon and night. Nothing else. Spending time in the presence of the Holy Spirit and waiting on God. South America. We went to Buenos Aires. I think we spent 10 days. How long? And we did nothing else. Morning, noon and night. We prayed. We sought the Holy Spirit. We were before him, and that's how everything else was born. In Israel, the ministry, nothing else. As leaders, we went there, we rented an apartment in a place, and did nothing else but pray 24-7 a day. For two weeks, ten days, day and night, we prayed, seeking God. 
Everything the Lord does is based on the commitment of members of the church who are part of 24-7 prayer, praying day and night. They are together all the time in prayer. And we've done that for almost 20 years now. But that's not enough. Because who, who of you knows that you can pray and you can pray? And sometimes it can be like a, a dry engine without oil that is heating up. And who of you knows that your engine can really get stuck without enough oil in it? And so what can we change? So the Herr so I believe, the Lord says, now listen. I want to teach you something. I want to teach you how the oil can be put into the motor. I want to teach you how I can lead you in the next step. How I can release miracles through your time with the Lord and answers to prayer. And before I do that, I want to remind you of something. I can see that here in my notes, but I want to tell you the first thing that we can learn from the apostles, as I told you, I just uh, kind of lost my train of thought, but now I've got it back. The disciples learned from Jesus how to pray. And then you see the apostles, the first thing they do is they meet in the upper room to pray and wait on the Holy Spirit. And then you see them, and that's also what I wanted to draw your attention to, the first thing when the 3,000 people got saved at Pentecost and the first church was planted, the first thing that happens is that the church comes together to pray. Acts 2 verse 42, they remained in the teaching of the apostles and fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayer, so continuously in prayer. So my friends, the key pillar of your life in the church is prayer. And this is what we see here, the teaching and preaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, communion and prayer. And then fear came on all those around them and many signs and wonders happened. And so that gets us now to this point. If you've got a Bible with you, please open up with me Acts 12. We see the story of Peter in prison. Give me a few more minutes, then we'll pray. We'll see the story of Peter in prison, Acts 12. And we see the first few verses. It was the time that King Herod persecuted the church. And he, uh, intending to persecute them, there was James, the brother of John, who was put to death, and he put Peter in prison. And then there were four uh, squads of soldiers guarding him, always four soldiers each, and then verse 5 you can read, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him without ceasing. So that's verse 5. And then we'll read a few verses. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. 
Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what was happening was actually in reality happening, but he thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city, it opened to them by, by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked a length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. So here we see that Peter wasn't quite so sure whether what he experienced was actually real. He's in prison, the chains fall off his wrists, and then an angel appears, and he leads him through the sentries and guards. They look at him, but they don't see him. The iron gate is opening up for him. And now he steps out of the prison and thinks, what is going on? Is that real? Is it really happening? He did know, yes, the church was praying for him. And he wanted to go there very quickly. And so he ran, that's how I imagine, he ran through the empty streets and wanted to go to Mary's house. She's the mother of John Mark. And he could not even wait to enter their prayer meeting. He couldn't wait getting to them and telling his friends in the church, hey, I've just had a miracle. That was such an answer to prayer. And we know what happened. He stood outside the gate and knocked, and while all the other doors and barricades had opened for Peter, he now stands in front of a closed door that is not opening. So Peter is knocking on the door, and there's only a young girl named by the name of Rod, and she somehow heard the knock, and she looks through the slit and sees Peter, is scared, doesn't open the door, runs back, back and there's a prayer meeting, some are weeping, others are proclaiming, Günther is having a great proclamation with everybody else, Frank's prophesying, Guido, I don't know, Gudula is doing worship, and everyone's running around, praying, doing what and then someone comes. I don't know who comes running. Road. Well, whoever Rhoda is, but she comes and says, Peter is outside. And everyone is looking at her. And they start discussing, oh, you're out of your mind. It's not possible. You, it must be an angel. Impossible. They laugh at her. Are you crazy? I don't know how long they were discussing, how long they were debating. But Peter kept knocking throughout all that time. And he wants to get in. And that's the point, my friends. Every door had opened for Peter. Every barricade had opened up. Every prison had opened for him. With the exception of the door in the very house where the Christians were praying. Now that's really embarrassing, right? Every door had opened. And that shows us something. 
You know, God has given us the keys to his kingdom. He has made us watchmen. He has given us authority in prayer. We have authority to bind and to lose, to open the doors in prayer. And my friends, there is no power on this earth that can resist the continuous prayer in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. And yet, there is one door that keeps being closed in our way, and it prevents us from receiving God's miracles. The God's miracles are happening all over the place, doors are opening. God has prepared his miracles. The miracle is right at the threshold of your prayer chamber, the, at the door of your house. And yet there is one door that prevents us from receiving that miracle. A door that prevents us or prevents the Lord even from opening the heavens as he wants to. A door that prevents us from receiving the answers to prayer and that's the door of unbelief. Because the church had one problem. They prayed but they were full of unbelief. They had no expectation. They had no expectation. And this is how it happens. So many times we have the answers to our prayers right at our doorstep. And we miss them because we do not believe that God really will answer our prayers. And God really answers and somehow it was true they never really believed that Peter would be set free from prison so I'm wondering why did they pray in the first place I don't know, I had a time of prayer it was just before the March of the Nations and you know, we had uh, quite uh, our stakes were quite high we were expecting 6,000 people in Jerusalem several thousand from the nations had traveled to the conference and then all of our financial responsibility and then it was like a threatening I don't know something threatening the uh, embassy that was uh, relocated I mean we were all happy about it but we thought oh if they had decided to relocate it, the, to relocate the embassy on the 15th all our doors would have closed and then there was a crisis in Gaza and the conversations with the authorities who suddenly said, no, you can't do it that way. All of a sudden, everything seemed to be conspiring against us. The door seemed to be closing. And I still remember I had a time of prayer. And I said, uh, well, I prayed roughly like this. I said, Father in heaven, you know your word says that you give us everything we need. And you know we've done this for you. Could you please now move the hearts of the politicians so we can have the March of the Nations? Could you please open those doors to help us? Somehow, very simple prayer. And I knew this prayer was something that truly touched the heart of God. And I knew even while I was praying, we did have the answer to prayer in our hand. And that's how it was. We've got a powerful God, whether he moves hearts like rivers or whether he answers our big or little prayers. In, in our eyes, they're big or little, but in God's eyes, it's always the same. But it really touches the heart of the Father when we pray with expectation. And somehow these disciples did not do it that way. And then a different story, Matthew 9 verse 25, it's the daughter of Jairus. 
you know that she had died and the gospel says that Jesus was called to pray for the daughter and then there were all the skeptics the unbelievers they stood around and they were lamenting and wailing and the first thing that Jesus did was that he drove out the spirit of unbelief. He just drove them from him. He did not allow them to come with him. He said, out, just leave. So he cast out that unbelief. And what happened then was, he said just one word. And the girl stood and the miracle happened. So somehow, my friends, we have to get rid of that unbelief. And this unbelief is connected to a lack of expectation. And this unbelief is not something, you know, a mystic power that I'm uh, at its mercy. The devil tries to tell us that. But it's not true. Unbelief is real and struggles against faith and is sin. And God cannot have any fellowship with that. And we don't have any expectation. But a mark of faith is expectation. If you ever want to experience that firsthand, I'll be happy to take you to South America. Because our friends there, they know, all our other friends who know how the services in Africa uh, usually run, they can tell you something about expectation. That means I enter this time of prayer and I know that I know. I expect God will meet me and that this is God's time. I go to a service and this service is not just my Greek mindset for somehow being filled with a nice and comfortable message but it's an expectation to the living God and when I got saved I still remember my first few services when the Holy Spirit started moving my heart was beating in my throat because I was filled with expectation I wanted to meet with God and even still today are you filled with such a sense of expectation when you meet with God well do come and join me in South America, right? I was in Bogota uh, just last uh, fall, and I was preaching there, 7,000 people, and the pastors came, Jobs, there is such a need, the Lord wants to heal marriages, can you have an altar call? And I said, okay, I'll do that. I ha had an altar call, and 2,000 people came. They were running to the altar. And so expectation is the sense that I want to take hold of that miracle. Expectation releases the atmosphere of heaven. Expectation, that's my attitude that I will grasp hold of something supernatural. And when the Lord sees expectation and, and faith, and he opens up the heavens and he comes down with his glory. You know, if the Lord sees that desire, he is drawn magnetically to us. This desire to come to the fountain, to step into the light from darkness, to see him as he is. And you know, if he sees prayer like that, when people are desperate, hungry for God, he comes with power and glory in a unique way. This prayer is something that's so attractive to the glory of God. One of the first things we did was the prayer expedition in 1993, is that true? 
I've told you about this many times. Maybe it was our first big thing that we organized. It was a prayer march from Berlin to Moscow. It really was spectacular. Six churches were planted. Hundreds got saved, maybe even thousands. I don't know exactly. It was at a time we walked through Poland and Belarus. It was the first reconciliation meet meetings we had there. It was times of reconciliation that we had. It's hard to imagine that now in the time then. We even had the permit to have an event on the Red Square. And in the Kremlin, we could have done that. We could have had an evangelism in the Kremlin, but unfortunately there was a revolution instead. But actually, it was something really spectacular, and we returned, and somehow I was just so frustrated. We returned back to Germany, and we couldn't get breakthrough, and we didn't see the miracles God had done. And I was praying, and I was laying down all my frustration before the Lord, and we can do that. I said, Lord, please do something. Please, God. And I remember that I was in prayer, and the Holy Spirit simply came. He simply took over my prayer, and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon me. I lay on the ground, or I fell to the ground. I don't remember how long I was lying there, but... I gave my life to him again and I said, Lord, here is all my frustration, my, my, my emptiness, my lack of expectation. I had no more expectation. It's not very clever, you know, I was maybe 30 at the time, but I had no more expectation. But God is a God of expectation. And if the enemy tries to steal from us, he steals our expectation. Expectation of what God wants to do, of our future, for the church, for the ministry, for our health. Expectation for what God wants to do. We can't do it, but we can expect God to do things through us. And then the Holy Spirit came. And I still remember we had a service then. I don't know whether it was the same week or whatever, when it was, but around about this time we had a service in the place where we had the after tabernacle now that was still divided by a wall. We weren't so many people, maybe 80 or 100 people. And the Holy Spirit said, Jobst, I want to come now. I want to pour out my glory. And I want you to allow that. And so I stood there, and that's how it happened. It happened all over the place, but I didn't know about it. But the Holy Spirit came, and globally the Holy Spirit was coming and visiting different churches like this. And I, he told me, blow into the microphone. I said, Lord, that's really embarrassing. And I discussed with him for about 15 minutes, um, but in the end I did it. I breathed and blew into the microphone, and the heavens opened, and the go God's power came on the on the uh, service, and people fell, they received of the Holy Spirit. Some can still remember who were with us at the time. And you might say, why was that? I said, because I didn't direct my expectation on people anymore. Because that's our problem. I did not direct my expectation anymore to what I can do. Because if you can direct your expectation to people, you can direct it to yourself, because I'm a person, a human too, right? I don't expect things from circumstances. I don't direct my expectation to anybody else changing something. 
But I direct my expectation to God, to the living God. And as soon as I do that, God starts doing something. And that's the most precious thing there is. So please, let's all stand together and then we'll pray.